Dads have a challenging role in this world, in their family. Um, they have the responsibility to reflect the Heavenly Father, who is good, gracious, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And this morning we're going to look at, we're going to, my, my hope this morning is for us to get a glimpse of who God is and respond by living in the light of His goodness. Get a glimpse of who He is, respond to who He is as a good Father, and respond to who He is and what He has done. Amen? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to James chapter 1. And we're going to look at living in the light of His goodness. James chapter 1, starting in verse 16, we're going to go through verse 21. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea. God is our unchanging good Father who calls us to live in the light of His goodness by aligning our attitudes, speech, and conduct with His. God is our unchanging good Father Father who calls us to live in the light of His goodness by aligning our attitudes, speech, and conduct with His. Now, I realize that today is probably a difficult day for many people as they're reminded of the Father that they didn't have growing up in the home, the absent Father. I know that, that today is a difficult day for many because they're reminded of the abusive father that they had in the home, or, or whatever the difficulties were that they saw their father walk through in this life, okay? And, and for many, this is a great day, because you have a great dad, a great dad to honor. You've seen Jesus in your dad. you got a dad who loves God. you got, you got a dad who's not perfect, but you got a dad who loves Jesus, and he's following Jesus, and he's, he's pointing you to Jesus. In the scriptures, the Bible exhorts fathers explicitly in Ephesians chapter 4 and Colossians 3. And it says this, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Okay, so fathers are charged by God through the Apostle Paul. Not to provoke their children to wrath, but to raise them up, to bring them up in the, in the, in the admonition, the instruction, in the discipline 
of the Lord. And the only way I think that we're, as fathers, going to do this is by getting our eyes on our good Heavenly Father and focusing in on Him. It's so easy to focus in on our failures and how much we fall short as fathers. There's only one perfect father. There's just one. And that's God. That's exactly right. There's one perfect father. You know, Jesus said this. Here's an encouraging Father's Day verse for you guys. Jesus said this to fathers. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Is that, is that an encouraging verse? If you being evil, fathers... <laughs> But the point is, is that every earthly father is sinful. And even as sinful fathers who tend towards selfishness, who tend towards irritation and anger and pride, even as earthly fathers who have our flaws and sins and brokenness, we know how to give good gifts to our children. We want to bless our children. And Jesus, in contrast, says, your heavenly father, he gives good gifts. He's good, and He gives good gifts to His children. He gives good gifts to those who ask Him. And this morning, I want us to focus in, first of all, on the goodness of God. Our God is, is, our God is an unchanging good Father. James says this in James 1.16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Now, why is James saying this? James just got done explaining in the first half of chapter 1, explaining about trials and temptations in the Christian life. And he just got done explaining that when we're tempted with sin, God didn't tempt us with sin. He doesn't tempt, nor is he tempted by evil. God is good. Okay? And when we're going through trials and we're going through temptations, we need to be reminded that God is good. We need to cling to that and, and be reminded that He doesn't change. He's good and He's faithful. He's consistent. He's always there. And when we're going through the fire, when we're going through the flood, when we're going through the pandemic, when we're going through national turmoil, we need to be reminded that God is good and God is unchanging. We cling to that. We rest in that. Because we turn on the news and we don't see a lot of goodness. And we don't hear a lot of good news. We hear about the sin and the brokenness of this world. And our hearts are grieved. We're weighed down. And one of the things I love about corporate worship, when we come together and we worship and we open up scripture, we focus in on the one who is good. The one who is perfect. The one who is righteous. The one who is unchanging. And he's trustworthy. He's faithful to his commitment. And it says here, it says, Every good gift comes down from him. Whether you receive that gift from a boss, from your job, or a family member, or the government. You got a check from the government, right? Uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So though it may come through other people, know that ultimately every good gift you've experienced in this life has been a gift from God. When was the last time you, you reflected on that, on the reality that everything you have in this life is a good gift from your good Heavenly Father who delights in giving you good gifts. He is 100% for you. 
not against you. Now, I know we struggle with this, especially when our fathers didn't measure up to reflect God the Heavenly Father well. Many of us struggle with this, what, what some would call a father wound. We've been broken and wounded by what we've seen in our fathers, right, or haven't seen. And God, when we get to know Him intimately and accurately, it brings healing to our broken hearts. When we see the one who's perfect in love, the one who isn't selfish, who 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 is the one who is patient, the one who is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God manifests His goodness to us in so many ways and giving us food every day. Did you have some food this morning, a cup of coffee? Did you get to see the sun come up and hear the birds chirping? Right? Did you get to hear some music this morning? Did you get to enjoy some AC? Did you get to enjoy relationships, family relationships? These are all good gifts from God to be enjoyed, and we must always remember where they come from. Every good and perfect gift has come down from Him. So notice James's emphasis on the goodness of God, and he, throughout the book of James, he calls Christians to action. He calls Christians to be doers of the word. He calls Christians to live out their faith by their actions. But don't miss these powerful verses here in James, because here he speaks about who God is and what God has done, and this is foundational for all our doing. Because if you miss what God has done and you get all wrapped up in the doing, you might get wrapped up in a bunch of doo-doo. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was not in my notes. Actually, right out of my notes, by the way. Preach. Theologians call it legalism. Okay? When we don't recognize and respond to what God has done for us, and we try to earn favor and earn love and earn His goodness towards us, which we can't. God has set His love on us before we were even born. Okay? He, he chose to love us, and we can't make Him love us anymore, and we can't make Him love us any less. He loves us. Paul knew that the church struggled with this. Paul knew that the church needed help to grasp this, so he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3 that by the Spirit the church would know the depth, the width, and the height, and the length of God's love, that they really know it, not just here, but here. God wants us to know that He loves us and He's for us, and He wants us to live in light of that, okay? And so one of the ways that we can live in light of God's goodness is we can be slow to anger. Okay? We can be slow to anger. Actually, let's see. I'm getting get ahead of myself. God calls us to be slow to anger. In verse uh, 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. And notice he says beloved. He calls the saints beloved. Look to your neighbor and say, you be loved. You be loved. Beloved brothers and sisters, you're not excluded there. You're included in that. Brothers and sisters. My beloved brothers, let every person be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. One of the things that I've told my children, is, is, is I pointed out that God has given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And I think one of those reasons is so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. 
Alright, and learn and receive and hear and get wisdom and get understanding. Use those ears that God has put on us. Those physical ears and those spiritual ears to hear and understand and get wisdom. But here, here, here's one of the ways that God calls us to live in light of His goodness. It's to be slow to anger. Remember back in the Old Testament Exodus when God, when Moses said he wanted to see God's glory? And he's like, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. And what does he do? When he, pa- when he did that, he caused his glory or his goodness to pass by Moses and put him in the cleft of the rock. He proclaimed his name, the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And the Bible in the Old Testament mentions this description of who God is a handful of times, and it's a powerful description of who God is. The Lord gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Our God is slow to anger. And He calls us to be like Him. Not to, not to completely have no anger at all, Because he's created us in his image and God does get angry about certain things and his anger is pure and righteous completely. But the anger of man rarely is pure and righteous completely. If not, never. (laughs) The anger of man isn't like that. I remember when I was trying to explain this to my son. We were reading through the Old Testament, reading about the Israelites and Moses and reading about how God got angry with them. And he was like, because we, we've always taught our children that you've got to deal with anger. Don't let anger get control of you. You know, like, he, he, my son, in his mind, he's thinking anger's bad. God, why is dad mad? Or dad, why is God mad? Why is he angry here? And so I explained it to him by singing a song, or one of our favorite song at the time, 10,000 Reasons, the second verse of 10,000 Reasons. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. God is slow to anger. And he calls us to be like that as well. Anger in our lives... It's kind of like those signals on the dashboard. Okay, what do those signals on the dashboard do? When we see those, when it says check engine lights or uh, oil change, you know, oil, oil light. What's that? You got 5,000 miles left. You got 5,000 miles left. Uh, We got somebody here among us who drove their car, I think, 30,000 miles on one oil change. Destroyed that car. I'm not going to call him out, David. That was pretty funny. Um, But, (laughs) David, if you're watching, I love you, brother. Um, (laughs) So, on the dashboard, on the dashboard of our cars, we got these signals that tell us low fuel, oil change, check engine light. There's a problem. Something needs to be looked at under the hood. And when we are seething with anger, that is that flashing light before us to remind us that something under the hood needs to get addressed, okay? Listen to this. This is a book. By the way, I asked my son recently, we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, 
and we went through them, and I said, son, what, what do you guys think daddy needs to work on the most? What do you think they said? What? How did you know? Your dad must need the same thing, right? <laughs> patience. Patience. And you know what? Patience is the opposite of? It's anger. Anger, right? Or impatience, I guess. Uh, so, so anyways, I got a book by uh, Ed Welch. <laughs> a book, a book, a small book about a big problem: meditations on anger, patience, and peace. It was what a great read for me right now. Actually, I wish I would have bought one for all the dads here today. Sorry. Um, and he says this. He says, anger specializes in indicting others, but is unskilled at both self-indictment and love. Say love. Let that sink in for a second. This is something he, this is how he defines or describes anger. Anger specializes at indicting others, but is unskilled at both self-indictment and love. Okay? Jesus said this, and I, and I wanted to mention this two weeks ago when I was talking about being made in the image of God and you matter, and talking about the sanctity of life and the preciousness of life. When Jesus was, uh, in, in Matthew 5, when he, when he says, you've heard it said you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment, he took it a little further and he said, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable of the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable of hell, the hellfire. Jesus brought out the heart of the Ten Commandments there. In, in, in Matthew 5, 28, he says, you've heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you look to lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. And so Jesus sees lust as adultery, and he sees this, this seething anger within a person as similar to murder. Hatred as murder. First John 3.10 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And so this is a serious issue. Psalms 37 says, uh, verse 8, it says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. There is a danger that comes along with the anger that we battle with. Uh, one person put it like this, and I don't know who to attribute this to. Uh, but he said, anger is an acid that, excuse me, go back here. Anger is an acid that can do no more harm to a vessel in which, is it, in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Anger is an acid that can do more harm to a vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Ecclesiastes 5 or 7 9 says, Be be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Proverbs 29:22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So anger can be very deadly and dangerous if we don't deal with it. The first time we see anger in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, after Genesis 3, after the fall. And we see Cain gets angry with his brother. They, they both bring an offering to God of worship. God accepts Abel's offering. Cain's offering gets rejected. Cain is mad. He's seething with anger. He's mad 
at his brother and he's probably mad at God. Oftentimes, God is really the, the one that we're mad at behind the anger that we have for other people, right? And, and God asked him this question. He said, why are you angry? Why are you angry, Cain? And he told him, sin lies at your door and it's lurking. It desires you, but you shall rule over it. I think that's a good question when we're battling, when we're all worked up, we're all fired up, our blood's pumping. We're mad. Somebody did something wrong to us. We didn't get what we thought we deserved. Or we, or, or something didn't turn out how we desired it to. And we're just mad. It's a good time to stop and pause and ask yourself, why are you angry? Or let the Spirit of God ask that question. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? What's going on? What's going on underneath the hood? Let's do a diagnostic test underneath the hood there. Um, Eugene Peterson describes uh, and, and commenting on Jonah. Jonah was another person in the Bible who had this unrighteous anger that revealed some issues in his heart. Remember Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh and he went the other way. He went to Tarshish. He ran from God's call. And God was, he was calling Nineveh to repentance. He was calling them to turn from their sins and, and he wanted Jonah to preach the message. And, and Jonah, he did. He was resistant. He had, to, he had to experience the father's discipline three days in time out in the belly of a well, right? And then he, he goes, he preaches the gospel, There's this, re, or he preaches repent, because God's going to destroy the city if you don't. And there's this repentance, there's this revival that happens, and Jonah's sitting back waiting for God to destroy this city. And he wanted him to. And actually, his heart is revealed in his response, when God chose to have mercy on them, when they repented, his heart was revealed. Jonah was basically like, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew it. You're gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. I know you. I know what you're like. And, and really, that should have led him to desire mercy for the Ninevites, but instead it caused him to run away from, from the calling of preaching so that they might experience God's mercy. And his heart was revealed, and God asked him that same question. Do you do well to be angry? Jonah was all upset. He was mad. He, he, God provided this nice little plant for him to give him some shade in the heat of the sun and he was comfortable and then the, the, the plant died. And he's mad! He, he, his, he was mad because he was uncomfortable and God didn't show, um, didn't bring wrath upon his enemies. God's heart is for mercy and grace and for us to model that as well. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says about this, about this anger and, and referring to Jonah here. He says this, he says, anger is, most, anger is most useful as a diagnostic tool. When anger erupts in us, it is a signal that something is wrong. Something isn't working right. There is an evil or incompetence or stupidity in the neighborhood. Diagnostically, it's virtually infallible. We learn to trust it. What anger fails to do, though, is to tell us, whether the wrong is outside or inside of us. We usually begin by assuming that the wrong is outside of us. Our spouse, our child, 
our God has done something wrong and we're angry. And that is what Jonah did. He quarreled with God. But when we track anger carefully, we often find it leads to a wrong within us. Wrong information, inadequate understanding, undeveloped heart, an undeveloped heart. Wow, that that's insightful right there. And and that's that's the way we can use that's the way we can utilize anger in a healthy way. That's the way we can manage it and use it not not to destroy us or to destroy others, but to use it as a signal that there's something wrong under the hood and God God wants to change that. He can change that. I wonder how many people what what the percentage of people that, that are in prison right now are there because they let anger get the best of them. Men and women. They got mad. Somebody crossed them. Somebody did them wrong. Or they didn't get what they wanted or whatever. They got angry and they let anger take over. And they lost control. They weren't slow to anger. They acted out in anger and now they're regretting it because their life is being lived behind bars because of acting in anger. When we act in anger, it does damage to us, and it does damage to those around us. And dads, this is important. One of the reasons why I'm camping out on this on Father's Day is because I know this is a struggle for many dads. Okay, and it's right next to the Father verse in James 1.17. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Father's Day sermon right there. Okay, let's go over here to verse 19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. That, that's an expression of God's goodness that he's slow to anger. And he calls us to reflect that same goodness in our families, in our homes. And many dads, including myself, have struggled with this. And nobody, no dad wants their children to live in fear in approaching them because they don't know how dad's going to respond if they ask them this thing or to tell them this one thing that happened. No dad wants to live like that. Wants their children to live like that. Crippled in fear of not being able to approach dad because dad might get mad. you got to walk on eggshells with dad. Alright? And so dads, we must deal with this anger before it destroys us, before it destroys our families, because it will demolish relationships. Anger destroys relationships, destroys families, destroys churches. It's destroying our nation right now. There's anger, animosity going on. And the gospel addresses it. But it can also be a helpful diagnostic tool. In that little book by uh, Ed Welch, he helps um, identify three different aspects of anger. And one, one is covert anger, sarcasm, just kidding, grumbling, complaining, gossip, defending, annoyed, frustrated, smothering, vengeful, irritable, entitled, eye-rolling, and superior. Anybody struggle with that one? Do you want to have to raise your hand? Okay, the other one is cold anger, silent treatment, withdrawal. Indifference, cold shoulder, controlling, stupid, detached, keeping score, criticizing. These are some of the words associated 
with cold anger. Have I been talking to your kids? I have not. <laughs> Covert anger. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm just trying to deal with my own heart. <laughs> I'm just trying to grow in this sanctification process and becoming more like our good, good Father. And I know that if I struggle with some of these things, then I know there's others that do as well. And that, that's one of the things that we will help lead others and lead our families as we allow the Lord to lead us through these issues. And we're transparent about these issues. We can, we can but, but, to, but to overcome this, this anger that destroys us, we first have to identify it. And so here's some help for our identifiers. The other one is hot anger. And this is, this is the more obvious one, right? This is the one everybody sees. Jealousy, wrath, war, murder, quarrels, explosions, rage, envy, hate. Vengeful attacks, when violence, oppression, abuse. A worthy goal is to identify words that fit your anger and listen to what you are really saying. The more hard-hitting your assessment, the better. He goes on to uh, expound on these a little bit more. And he says, sarcasm says, you are stupid, and I'm not. Then it adds, just kidding, as you enjoy self-righteous vantage, at a self-righteous vantage point. Grumbling and complaining speak the common refrain of all anger. I want something and I'm not getting it. Or, in short, I want. I want. Or as my um, one-year-old, about to be two-year-old, says, mine. Mine. <laughs> yes. That's human nature. We are all born in sin. Gossip is the judge. Gossip is a judge who publicizes his or her verdict and tries to convince others to pronounce the same verdict. Withdrawal and silence are nasty. They are forms of punishment. You will not show your favor to the wretched soul until he or she begs forgiveness and makes amends. Indifference might be the worst form of anger. You simply do not care about the person anymore. You have judged him and sent him off into exile where he can bother you no more. Envy says, I want what you have. Broken relationships are sure to follow. And jealousy takes envy one step further and says, I deserve what you have. And you don't deserve it. Now, this is nasty. This is gross. This is, it's like reading the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. Like, we love the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But before that most famous verse in Galatians, there's a couple other verses there about the works of the flesh. There's two ways to live. Two ways to live, right? Walking in the Spirit and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit. And who doesn't want to be around a mom or a dad or a friend or a co-worker who's full of love? Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Just good fruit just coming out of their life. And you get to just enjoy a nice juicy peach and an apple here. Delicious fruit of the Spirit when you're around them. Or the rotten fruit works of the flesh that are stinky, destructive, poisonous, toxic. You don't want to be around that, right? And we don't want to be those people who allow. And, and by the way, one of the works of the flesh described is outburst of anger. Outburst of wrath. When we let anger erupt like a volcano from us. Comes out through our words, 
Maybe not. Some of us are really good at keeping it in. That volcano's boiling on the inside, and you're not going to let the words come out. You're not going to let the actions come out. But you got this facial expression, this body language that just says, "Oh, I'm mad," right? Um, okay. So here are a couple questions. Um, a couple questions as I was just kind of thinking through this, thinking through reasons why we're angry. And so I want to ask you, and maybe allow the Spirit to ask you this morning, why are you angry? Or next time you're angry, why are you angry? And so here's some, here's some things to consider. Does your anger have more to do with the plans and the purposes of God? Or are you angry about your own plan and earthly pleasures? Are you angry because of unrealistic or unbiblical expectations of others or towards yourself? Are you angry because you're trying to do too much in your own strength and you're just frustrated? Okay? Are you angry because you're not getting proper rest, solitude, and the, spirit, the spiritual and the physical nutrition that you need to flourish? Are you angry because you haven't taken the time just to talk to someone about your pain and your struggle that you're currently experiencing? Are you angry because you think that God should have prevented something, provided something, or did something different than the way it actually happened? So you're disappointed with God. You're angry. Are you angry because you feel rejected, hurt, neglected by someone close that has failed to love you? Jesus experienced that. Are you angry because you just can't see any way that things are going to get better? Do you have overwhelming pressures of responsibilities that you need to ask others or God to help you with? Do you feel angry because you're not seeing the bigger picture like Jonah? You just you're, you're narrow-minded in, in how you see the world and how you see others and what God's doing. You're just Jonah's just thinking Israel. God's thinking the world. Right? It's just your it's just your little your kingdom. Just versus God's kingdom, the global kingdom, eternal kingdom. Are you angry because you feel misunderstood or inaccurately judged? Are you angry because you're unable to identify and articulate what's going on inside? You just you don't know. Just something's not right. I'm just, I don't feel right. I'm angry. And so here's some questions that can help us as we're working through this. If anybody wants these, um, you can find these on my blog. Uh, it's forthegospelsake.com. I wrote an article on this. Why are you angry? Um, addressing this in, in January. And so we see in the Bible the necessity to resolve our anger. We need to resolve anger. Paul tells us... <clears throat> In, in Ephesians 4, he says, be angry and do not sin. It's possible to be angry and, uh, and not sin. Okay? When, when there's injustice in the world, when there's wrong that's happening, like, like what we've seen uh, recently with um, police brutality, like that's wrong, and people are angry, and you know what? You can get angry about those things in a righteous way and not sin. Or you can let some injustice that you see in the world that's wrong, and you know it's wrong, and then let your anger try to make two wrongs, try to make something right, which it won't happen. Two wrongs don't make a right. Right? God says, vengeance is mine. 
Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, there's, there's a proper way to manage the, 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 the feelings that we feel inside when we're upset, when we're angry, when we're hurt. And Paul says, be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He goes on and he says, nor give place to the devil. The implication in that verse there, verse 26, Ephesians 4, 26, is that when we let anger fester within us, we give the devil a foothold in our lives. You guys, you guys remember as, as kids, or um, kids, we got kids here, you're trying to get into a room, and your, your sibling's on the other side, and they're trying to keep you out, block the door, we're playing in here, you can't play with our Legos right now, but they get the foot in there. They get a foothold in there. Once they, get, once they get that foothold in there, they're gonna wiggle their way in there, right? Because they got the foothold. You're not gonna, you're not gonna squish, smush their foot off, right? They're gonna get in there. They got the foothold in there, and that's what lingering anger does in our lives. We give Satan a foothold to wreak havoc in our lives and destroy relationships in our lives. Ed Welch says this. He says anger looks like Satan, and it summons him. So anger is not just about our desires that have gotten out of control. Anger is partnership with Satan, who is a murderer. We don't want to give Satan a foothold in our lives. We don't want anger to turn into um, malice and hatred, which, which God says is murder. If there's hatred in our heart, it's murder. So we have to resolve it. We have to address it properly. And by the way, in Ephesians 6, when Paul tells fathers to not provoke their children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't be unreasonable on the demands that you put on them. Don't come down so hard on them that you that you break their spirit, that you discourage them, that they just want to give up because dad's just being too harsh. It, he, he, God said, don't do that. Don't be like that. I think one of the reasons why dads have that tendency to do that, because they're mad. Because they're feeling pressure. Because they're feeling overwhelmed. Because they're feeling, feeling irritated. And it comes from the boss or it comes from the world. And then it, it comes upon a dad and then the dad puts it on the child and then the child kicks the dog. <laughs> and it just keeps going on and, and it just spreads. It just spreads, right? And so we have to deal with this within our own hearts. Lest it do damage to our entire family. Amen? And, and praise God, we got some good news here. The good news is, oh, actually, and first let me, before I go there, the good news, in contrast to not provoking your children to wrath, to anger, not exasperating them, Paul says, but bring them up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Okay, that's, that's proactive rather than reactive. Okay, that's proactive. You're training, you're teaching, you're instructing them, right? And you're bringing them up. You're bringing them up in the Lord, not coming down harsh on them, exasperating them. Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 what it looks like to walk in the ways of the Lord. Put away lying. Speak the truth. Don't steal. Give. Put off the anger, immorality. Okay? 
Are you listening? Ephesians 4 and 5 explains what it looks like for us to walk in the ways of the Lord. Gives us some how we can live out the gospel, how we can live out our faith. Amen? And so here's the good news. The gospel has given us provision for resolving anger. Look at Romans 5, 8 through 10. It says, but God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The good news is is that Jesus took the wrath of God for you and me, the, the judgment for sin that we deserve. He absorbed it upon the cross. The, the Bible has this theological word for that. It's called propitiation. Okay? Jesus absorbed the penalty, the punishment, the wrath for sin that we deserve. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took it for us. He took death row for you and me. And all that wrath that we deserve, that punishment, was put on Jesus. And you and I can bring our sin and the wrongs that have been done to us to the cross and laid them down there. Let them go. Because Jesus died for them. He died for sinners. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the key right there. There's the gospel provision for us. God has forgiven us. The wrath that we had directed towards us because of our sin has been taken care of and we are now forgiven and justified because of the blood of Jesus is sufficient. And so we can give that same mercy and grace to others freely because we've received it. And the gospel not only has provided that power, that provision there, but also the power of the Spirit. Romans 8.13 tells us that we are to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, by the Spirit. And so we can walk in victory over, over wrath and anger dominating our lives. We can look more like our good, good Father who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's past 12 o'clock, so I need to land the plane lest I make anybody angry here. <laughs> So here's a couple application points. Take inventory to identify what is the cause of your anger. James gives us some insight for some for a cause of anger within. He says, What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions is it is it not this? Yes, I don't listen. Is it not that your passions are at war within you? There's this, you're, you're fighting with others because you got this war going on inside your own heart. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So these passions and then prayerlessness. Talk to God, who's a good God, who gives good gifts to those who ask Him. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not re- you, you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world 
makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words in James. Commit yourself, commit to resolve anger swiftly and avoid letting it linger. Okay? Don't go to sleep angry. I mean, if you can, if it's possible, my wife and I have made that a goal. We've been, this week will be 10 years we've been married. Praise God. Where's my wife? She's over there. Working with the little one. Um, 10 years, and we've had many opportunities to work through anger and offense and struggles in our marriage. But one of the things we've done is we've committed to doing that and doing it swiftly. And there, there's probably been one or two nights where it was just too late for us to try to talk through all the issues. It was like, okay, we're, we just had to come to an agreement. We, there have been times where we've come to an agreement. Okay, let's, let's talk about this tomorrow because it's not getting any better right now. We need some sleep. We'll do better talking about this tomorrow. All right, let's just, let's just leave it at that. But we're, we're going to address it. But we, we've, we've made it our goal, made it an aim to try to work through conflict before going to bed at night. Saying we're sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for how I acted. Which is key if we're going to, if we're going to help our spouses or someone else address the anger that they feel towards us. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. There's a piece of, a nugget of wisdom that will save you a punch in the face. <laughs> I remember I was on the streets of Deep Elm uh, maybe 15 years ago, 16 years ago or so, witnessing out doing evangelism. And there was this angry guy that got real bad into my, my face. And he was like, because he heard us talking about Jesus. And he just, he was just cussing, yelling right in my face, big guy. I didn't want to fight at all, right? But I remembered Proverbs 15.1. I mean, I could respond with some smart aleck, Bible verse, you know, you know, God's going to get you. You're going to have to stand before God on judgment there, whatever. Boo! Right? And my, my foolishness in that moment would have got me a punch in the face. But praise God, the Spirit reminded me of Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. Right? I don't have to I don't have to try to prove myself with this guy right now. I mean, all right, um, I'll go preach over here, right? That's okay. A soft answer turns away wrath. Save yourself some pain by applying that verse to your life. Save a relationship by applying that verse to your life. A soft answer turns away wrath. Humbly listen to and receive God's perspective. Here, here's, here's where James is going with this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay, the next verse, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, 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 and humbly accept the word planted in you, which, is, which can save you. So he, he, he says, hear what God has to say. If you're going to overcome anger, you have to listen to God. And when, and, and, and this, this is more than just listening to another person. Now, listen, right now, we need to be people who are listening to what's going on. Right now, the African-American community is saying this injustice against um, black men being killed by police officers and, and all these injustices throughout history, you guys need to hear this. And, and, and we need to listen. We need to be people who listen and hear the pain and the struggle of others without being quick to respond. That's a, it's an important verse for us here. 
But even beyond that, we need to be listening. God, what are you saying? Like when we're in these circumstances, when, when there's hurt, when there's brokenness, when there's so, there's so much complexity to situations, and, and the, 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 the pain and the anger and the conflict is so challenging to work through, we need to hear from God for solutions. We need to hear what God has to say and be submitted to Him and align our attitude, our speech, and our conduct with His character, with who He is. This will, this will minimize our conflicts. Well, this, this will help us resolve conflicts and this will help keep us from creating unnecessary conflicts. Um, so lastly, embrace the attitude of Jesus. Okay, this is my last slide. I'm way over. I'm sorry. Thank you guys for being patient with me. Embrace the attitude of Jesus. Embrace the attitude of Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, we do this by listening to other people, by the way. Hearing what's going on. And I care. You matter. The situation matters. I, I realize this hurts. We validate the hurt that people have and the struggles that people have. Let each of you look look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this attitude, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If we're going to conquer anger, if we're going to, to deal with the anger that, 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 that gets stirred up within us, we need to take on the attitude and the mindset of a servant. Okay? Wash feet. Instead of walking into a room, coming home, or going to work with, hey, you guys going to help me out? Having this attitude, hey, how can I help you out? We'll be less likely to get offended and angry if we have a mindset of a humble servant versus, you know, this is my, this is my place. This is my thing, right? It, it takes having the, you know, I don't recall Jesus ever getting mad because he was somebody personally attacked him. Now he was he, he got upset like when when there was injustice done wrong to uh, other people and, and when, when uh, uh, the temple you know the father's house was being there was corruption in the temple he overturned the tables in Mark three there was a, a crippled person uh, that that he healed and, and there were these hard hardened hearts around him that didn't want him to heal on the Sabbath day. Like, what are you doing? And Jesus was angry and he was grieved by their hardness of heart. But he, we don't see him getting mad about, like, a, a personal attack. He didn't, like, rise up in anger and take out his sword and fight back because somebody called him a name, right? He, he had this mindset of humility, this servitude. He gave his life away. He, he didn't allow unrighteous anger to take over his being and lead him to sin. He lives sinless. May we learn from Jesus. He says, come to me and learn from me. I'm lowly and meek in heart. That's the opposite of anger. Meekness. Yielding our rights to God so that he can demonstrate his peace 
and his power through us. And so let me just close in prayer. Um, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to search us now and just address any areas in our hearts and our lives as we're talking about this. Maybe this wasn't for you. Maybe this is for somebody you know <laughs> that you need to share this with. But as we work through our own struggles in our own hearts, God will help us to effectively lead others in the process of sanctification. So, so Father, would you search us and reveal any hurtful way in us? Would you lead us in the way everlasting? Would you teach us to be gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Open our eyes right now in this moment to get a glimpse of your glory and your goodness, and may we be changed by what we see. May we fix our eyes not on the brokenness around us in the world, or even our own brokenness, but may we fix our eyes on your beauty and your perfection and may we be changed as we set our gaze there. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true